small interview slash podcast where we know you as a person. Haan, your, know. your journey. Like knowing me as a person is very scary for me. Like you know, giving <laughs> statistics is fine, but like personal is like, oh my god. <laughs> so I am also nervous. Imam, because your journey is honestly every economic student's dream. Going to <laughs> London School of Economics and then jo- joining such wonderful places—it's honestly a dream for us. No, no, there's nothing uh, dreamy about it. It's just yeah, it is a lot of hard work that I won't yeah. take up. Definitely, ma'am. So, ma'am, how has the lockdown been for you? So I got COVID. Uh, oh my god! I didn't know. Uh, this is like my opening line. You know, <laughs> I got COVID uh, in June uh, beginning, and I was and I've recently recovered like fully almost. But you know, it's such a disease that still towards the end, like even today, I'm having a bit of a throat irritation because you know it just doesn't fully leave your body for a while. So. Um, and i have no idea how i got it so uh, cuz i never stepped out of the house and my parents and i all three of us got it and we have absolutely no idea how it came to our house and how um you know all of this happened um and when it did happen uh, i was quite worried um understandably but luckily i was more or less asymptomatic and uh, even my parents recovered very very quickly like within uh, 7 days all our like their fevers were gone i never got fever um and in fact um the lockdown has been like overall it started off as being extremely hectic because i've been on the team uh, which is actually advising uh, adb and uh, uh, you know on on the covid loan to government of india so because we have given adb has given 1.5 billion dollars to the government of india to fight covid wow. and i've been part of the team which is designing that loan um so it was extremely hectic because i think from like pretty much one week after the lockdown uh, in april beginning we started uh, you know designing that loan and by march mid mid may actually we had disbursed that loan and that is a record amount of time in which adb has given any money to anyone ever so uh, we were working pretty much like i would say 20 hour days and um, this it was very hectic and then soon after that i got covid so i actually i have no idea where the lockdown has gone it's been it's been a blur and uh, i've worked throughout covid i did not take a single day off uh, despite having covid and uh, i have a team of um, you know my own research assistants because of course i advise adb and that's a large part of my work but i also advise world bank that's a large you know now becoming a larger and larger part of my uh, work and i also work on my own research uh, so you know uh, it's just there's no time and in fact my whole team was just like okay mitali you got covid now what's going to happen um so we you know we literally between ourselves we were just putting like systems in place to make sure that if i can't work somebody can you know keep it going but it wasn't luckily required and we uh, managed without me taking a single day off so yeah like people are like my friends in fact were like oh you got covid and you didn't even rest and i'm like i didn't have time <laughs> Like I genuinely didn't have time. <laughs> so I mean, it's and it's. I'm not proud of it. I am really one of those people who believes that you should take some time to rest and decompress every day. Um, I do try, but uh, this lockdown has been very, very hectic. <laughs> That's great to hear that people are actually working so hard even when they have COVID because. Because nowadays people are just looking for reasons to run away from work. You know, yar, COVID, I'm a bar ni a sakta. So they're not even going out and hearing your story that you're working so hard in COVID. It's really inspiring, honestly. Yeah, like I feel like we are all young and we are not gonna get. Most of us are obviously not gonna get very serious symptoms. So we should just be prepared to work through it. You know, that's not an excuse to not work. I know it sounds Japonian, but you know. <laughs> I mean, if you can say, also it keeps you distracted. Like, uh, if you have COVID, then you're constantly thinking about, oh shit, tomorrow am I gonna like feel breathless, or is this gonna happen, or is that gonna happen? Where, like, if you're distracted with work, then you're not going to constantly dwell on it. So it really helps to get through it. 
yeah it's more of you know it becomes more of a mental problem at after a point because you think about it so much and you stress yourself you psych yourself yeah. out and then it it just gets worse exactly so just you know keep working keep yourself distracted it's much easier that way so ma'am where did your life journey begin where did my life journey begin uh i think in school like i would say that uh, class 11 was like a huge turning point for me um because i joined my school's uh, social service league uh, club and then i soon became the president of that club and then every year since then has been like a year in which i've done something for the community like that that whole community um spirit and that whole realization of my privilege and and the fact that you know i suddenly realized through the social service league and like visiting um because at that time it was just visiting right it was like a oh, a day in a old age home or a day in a children's uh, you know center or something like that and that itself like sparked this uh, feeling that i need to do something um which which in which you, you know where i can utilize my privilege and just not um be about making money or you know i was like i i don't it's not it doesn't attract me i don't earn very much like very honestly like for for people uh, of my age and education i'm one of the lowest earners i would say in my group um but i don't really that's that's not a driver for me and that's only because i'm privileged like the reason i can say that i don't earn and i'm okay with that is a privilege um so you know i completely recognize that but i'm hoping to use this privilege for a good reason and that's what my attempt is and yeah then i started doing a lot of model un and that's when i uh, realized that i want to work with international organizations and for a very long time i was obsessed with getting into the united nations i was just like this is it i have to do it so my first job uh, after graduating from lse was with the un um and i joined un women in new york um and i started and i worked there for about a year and i decided never to work with the un again <laughs> after that uh, because i realized that the unfortunately you know the system has become such that it rewards mediocrity in in the un um and in fact there are a lot of good people there who are much older than us i would say you know people who are sort of at that end of their uh, or i or you can say end of their career or you can say peak of their career both are accurate because you know if you're in your 50s or your 60s um your experience is extremely rich uh but also your energy is a little low uh compared to somebody who's young and raring to go um so i feel like uh, the un has become like a parking place for people just before their retirement mm-hmm. and and then there are unpaid interns so it's it's like it's a weird combination and the middle management is almost totally missing so there's a whole lot of internal changes that the un needs to go through to become a more effective organization and i am really hoping that the post covid a uh, situation will actually spark a lot of change uh within the UN um but yeah soon after the UN I joined the World Bank and I have not looked back ever since because World Bank and ADB both uh have been very effective at what they do and uh, of course I wanted some field experience so I moved to Africa for some time and um you know Africa is a great place to work at least at that time it was now I'm not so sure um it's become a little unsafe that's why i left um and but but yeah like it it's been but i would say like in a short answer to your question the journey definitely started in school uh with the social service league and the muns and that's what it it you know starts with perfect so ma'am you're also from delhi university hindu college and how was do you for you because just joined and how how was do you for you at that time like what about 10 years ago so at that time when i joined hindu i was really upset because uh i hadn't scored very well in my boards and i didn't get stephens and it was like i have to be in stephens like how can i not be in stephens and then 
I went to Hindu because obviously that was the best college where I cleared the cutoff. And my board marks were really messed up. Like I got 80 in economics. Even till today, I'm just like, how can a, an, a professional economist be getting 80 in economics in her 12th board? Like it's inexplicable. Um, so yeah, like that also points to deficiencies in our education system. But yeah, so when I went to Hindu, I was very angry in the first one month. But then I met a lot of like like-minded people, and we started a society called Caucus, the Discussion Forum, which uh, in fact is alive till today. It's been eleven years, and it's still there. And I'm in touch with the current president, etc. Um, and I keep you know advising them as well. So it's uh, it's amazing that it's persisted um through all of these years because like with college societies everyone knows like you know every year you have a society coming up and some dying and you know it doesn't it doesn't stay and this has stayed so i'm really glad that it's become like a permanent fixture in in the fabric of hindu and uh, yeah there was a lot of mun a lot of uh, uh fests and uh, a lot of i was also part of the choreography uh you know club so a lot of like dance festivals. Um, so for me, college was not about studying. Honestly, it was it was about the MUNs and the dancing, um, and of course the press. Like that was that was my memories of college. Like I don't really, and I was very keen to go to campus because uh, I lived in South Delhi and LSR was just five minutes from my house. And I remember my parents were like, "LSR chale jao, it's so close." And I was getting also LSR, uh, but I still chose to go to campus. And also I wanted to make a very clear stand that uh, I don't, I mean, like I understand the reasons for why uh, people prefer single sex education and they feel that um, they would like their daughters to be in a safer environment. Um, but my personal stand, and of course, like I'm not saying that this applies to every case because there are cases, you know, maybe people wouldn't be able to access education because, you know, of certain social norms and their family, and then you know the access argument trumps, uh, you know, the the anti same sex education stand. But in general, I do believe that people should uh, be exposed to diverse settings. And in our country, we don't have the privilege of having international students on campus in undergraduate levels, you know. And even when we do, when the African students come to our campus, we treat them like uh, so terribly and we abuse them and we are racist um, that they are also demotivated from coming. And even when students from Northeast or Nepal, etc., come, we again are racist towards them. So, um, you know, because of this, uh, because of this culture, this cis male culture that we have, uh, this dominant cis male culture in our universities, um, students are uh, not getting that diversity. So at least they should go to a, you know, a real world experience of going to a, uh, you know, co-ed institution. So I was very clear that I didn't want to go to a single sex college and then I chose Hindu. Great, ma'am. So, ma'am, when did you know LSE was your aim? So, actually, uh, this was also a coincidence. So, in our second year, uh, after second year, I wanted to do a course on econometrics because I was aware that our econometrics professor couldn't teach to save his life. <laughs> so, uh, I was like, you know, econometrics is a basic skill. Like, if I don't have econometrics, there's no way I'll be able to do a master's. And doing a master's was essential because UN Jana. Exactly. So you need a master's. <laughs> so um, you know, so I was still toying between D school and LSE and like staying here, going abroad and everything. But I said, like, whatever happens, I need to have a good base in econometrics. So LSE had this summer school um in econometrics, which was actually taught by Christopher DeHarty, who is the author of our econometrics textbook. Okay. So I said, you know what, this I just chanced upon it um online, you know, while while browsing through uh some things and this was advertised. So I said, you know, this sounds in interesting, like why don't I apply for this? I applied for the course I got in. So then uh I went to uh LSE for the summer school and I had actually topped the summer school. 
like yeah so then christopher dohati who was the professor he uh, you know called me to his office and he said you've done very well etc you should consider applying for the masters here and i said okay that sounds brilliant so uh, then i you know then that's when i decided to to apply abroad for my masters but i was very selective like i only applied to uk i didn't apply to the us because we couldn't right we had that for like 3 years ke baad we can't apply for a master so we'd have to do a bridge year or um you know not not directly get into the master's program so it was very complex so i just you know didn't apply to the us and so i just stuck to uk and in the uk i only applied to five colleges oxford cambridge lse ucl and warwick was my backup so i and so then i got lse ucl and warwick so uh, i was like great lse it is there's like, there no question like once i got lse um i was just very happy to and plus uh, i think dr dohati was very clear that he was taking me so like of course he expected me to meet all the you know uh, criteria but he didn't give me a reference so it was sort of the way it it just was very very organic like again i didn't have to uh you know i've seen the way people do applications now um because i have a lot of interns who are like high school interns and and college interns in my team and the amount of effort they put into their college applications is phenomenal um you know it takes them what two two years to build their profile to be accepted by a college it it really wasn't like that for me it was much easier so i i really give a lot of kudos to the kids now because genuinely it's much harder now <laughs> so ma'am when you reached lse how do you compare du and lse <laughs> so see du is your home ground right it's you have this comfort level uh you don't feel foreign when you go there of course you feel foreign and you feel that systems are different and you um you know things are definitely more impersonal there like in you you don't feel anything about like just talking to anyone or randomly or even teachers are much more approachable actually uh over there everything is very systematized so you have to take time from your teacher to speak to them you have to like even with your own like classmates you'll have study hours or you know everything will be very structured versus uh in the u is like ha chalo canteen mein baith ke like we'll just sit for two three hours and just chill and then like also talk and so it's it's very different and even societies and uh extracurriculars like i did a lot of model un in uh, um uk as well and i also worked with the un association of uk and also represented them at the un general assembly uh, meeting on youth um so it was weird because there was a delegate from india and i was representing uk at that time so it was just very weird but um but yeah like i i mean i did a lot of these activities and everything but i just don't think that they were as much like they were really rewarding but they weren't as much fun like going to an mun in the uk was just not as much fun as in uh, in in delhi it was just strange like um because people have their own groups and cliques and then you are not part of those i mean it takes a bit of time to to make your own circles um which is fine but also like i think my time there was also very limited i just had two years and i mean i still had two years most people just have one year and in that one year they can't do anything but study so and i was also working when i was there i started working with the lse asia research center as a research assistant and the primary motivation for that was to have an office like because in the library there was no space ever to sit and study so when i was at campus i had my own desk my own computer everything i could just check out the books i needed and then go to my office and study so um so yeah it, it's a it's a very different experience you're much more uh, on your own mm-hmm. you know even if you have like a great group of friends at the end you're still on your own so yeah exactly that impersonal touch comes in there where you are alone by yourself for facing the rest of the world so yeah 
must yeah, have been a for longer periods of time like you can of course we partied a lot and everything and that's fine but still the responsibility that you have to study that you have to do your exams well all of that it is much more when you're there than when you're here here it just feels much easier <laughs> ma'am what was your role during your stint in the united nations so i started off uh, again that was also very organic so i mentioned i went to uh, the un uh, to represent the uk um after my first year at lse and that's when i met the person who would eventually give me my job <laughs> so uh, i asked a few questions in a few panels and then after the panels approached this person who was a panelist and he said great you know your questions are great why don't you send me an email with all of this and uh, um you know tell me how you think and so i sent him questions i also sent him a write up um which i did for the un association of uk of my experience at that conference and uh, he said great when are your when are your exams ending and i said my exams are ending in june and he said when do you get your degree i said i'll get my degree and my you know studentship is till september so i said great so june to september do an internship with us in new york and i was like okay <laughs> on the next flight uh so um then i joined uh, as an intern to start with in their uh, resource mobilization team at un women where the work was about um un women raising funds for itself both from member countries as well as from private sector and foundations and before i joined i never actually knew that un women had to do fundraising exactly i yeah i actually thought that they would be just self funded but they are not like wow. the un is in such a situation where they have to do fundraising and in fact they their largest team is fundraising and most internships are in fundraising so uh yeah i was very surprised and in fact this is very sophisticated fundraising so i have happened to find myself in a meeting with the ceo of american express sitting in their new york office talking about how amex should support un women's gender equality agenda and that's when i realized how these things happen you know how does like who today it's in the news right that gates foundation is their biggest funder not the, not the government of the us but gates foundation so things are changing a lot about how when is functioning and that is actually a bit disturbing because the whole idea was for the un to be a non partisan entity and then when you bring in a private foundation or private donors it uh, it can be problematic i mean of course if they're just supplementary donors it's fine but if they're a large donor like gates then they get to have a complete say on yes, how the exactly. um so yeah let's that mean but leaving that aside i uh, that was my function for the first 3 months after that i was given a, a more permanent contract with them as a consultant and uh, in all of these organizations staff positions and consultant positions are very different so staff positions are given to people generally over 35 or 40 like i i'm still not staff i'm still a consultant and uh, but what i've realized and and consultant positions are given to the younger people because those are like more less permanent you know they are just for 6 months or one one year and then if you're doing well they anyway will renew it so i had a consultancy contract for a year uh, with the same team uh, following my uh, internship but i uh, and i was working on this initiative called the women's empowerment principles which is a set of uh, you know principles which uh, exhorts companies like corporates to do more for diversity and inclusion at the workplace mm -hmm. um so i mean that was that was an, a good project very rewarding and i did that for about 7 8 months but after that i wanted field experience because i was sitting in new york and i just felt like this is all very you know just fundraising and you know just corporate corporate i need to see on ground so um, and also i was feeling that it's not technical enough like i wasn't using my economics education much so i decided to uh, move to consulting and left the so you had a stint in africa you said can you give a brief about that also possible so uh just after i finished with the un uh, my mother said beta ghar aa jao tum ab wapas india aa jao 
मैंने कहा ठीक है चलो लाइक यू नो राइट नाउ आई कैन फिगर आउट व्हाट टू डू सो आई केम बैक टू दिल्ली एंड यू नो बिकॉज आई वाज वेरी क्लियर दैट आई डिडंट वांट टू कंटिन्यू विद द यूएन एनीमोर इट वाज जस्ट डेस्क वर्क इट वाज एंड आई वाज नॉट बीइंग पेड एनफ टू मेक रेंट इन इन न्यूयॉर्क सो आई वाज लाइक यू नो दिस इज नॉट सस्टेनेबल सो आई केम बैक टू दिल्ली एंड आई टुक अप अ कंसल्टेंसी विद वर्ल्ड बैंक लाइक इन बिटवीन Uh, which was a very rewarding consultancy and i said you know this is great like i think i'd rather work more with world bank or adb or you know so essentially i realized i need to move into infrastructure um rather than you know just being in the soft side like gender um you know just gender issues so infrastructure was very exciting and i said you know this is actually a sector where you're actually building things like a road or you know bridges or um you know even social infrastructure like schools or hospitals so i said you know this is this is exciting so once i realized that i want to be in infrastructure there was a firm called genesis analytics which opened up in delhi at that time and uh, they sent out an email uh, alert to all the lse alums and said you know we are hiring so if you happen to be back in delhi we're setting up a brand new team and uh, you know and they are based in south africa but we're opening up in india so i applied there because it appeared to be a more exciting opportunity than going for a standard big four or something like that and uh, i got hired and in fact they were paying double pretty much of what mckinsey was paying so i said this is perfect like you know mujhe nahi chahiye brand name i'll go for this because this is uh, you know a firm which is like trying to like break into the indian market etc so it was like a risk but it was the beginning of my career so i took it and it was the best risk i've ever taken because uh, the company shut down in india in just 6 months but because my work was good um and i'd worked with the world bank before they were setting up a new vertical in south africa on infrastructure so they transferred me to that vertical so they did my work visa and everything and i moved to uh, johannesburg and everyone in my like my friends were like what is why you moving to johannesburg who goes to johannesburg like people go to london people go to new york tum new york chhodke london chhodke johannesburg ja rahe ho and i'm like yeah because that's where the action is and that was true uh so that vertical had just me and this amazing person called Tasiana Chaponda who was my boss and both of us set up that vertical and that team from scratch we would do like 20 proposals in a day and he was ex world bank and uh, now he's the ceo of a new multilateral development bank in malawi which he set up himself so you know i got the chance to work with him very closely for two and a half years and uh, he was i would say one of my first mentors because he had this style of working where he would literally tell me mitali get this done and that's it <laughs> like and then the rest was it was on me how do you get it done how do you figure it out and like he would just say whether he likes it or he doesn't like it like he wouldn't tell me how to get to what he likes he would just tell true. me get no <laughs> and then i would stuck with the no and then you know again you figure it out so but that entire process of working with him for that two years i think shaped me into the person i am today because he gave me so much autonomy which nobody uh, in there you know like because i worked with pwc as well i've seen how the juniors are treated there versus you know what i learned in my first two years of consulting completely different it's completely different so i loved working with him i loved working with that team we set up a team there and we did so many projects water projects um you know to provide water access in southern africa we did projects uh, to provide uh, infrastructure preparation modules and uh, systems for governments there was this one time when we actually trained uh, government officials from the ministry of finance in zambia at a resort uh, outside of uh, lusaka you know there were giraffes roaming around in the background and we were teaching the government officials how to assess projects it was it was phenomenal like those two years of my life was just phenomenal but of course there were lows even at that time like personally you feel very low because you come back to a house which is totally empty and you know like uh, your your only way of you know staying sane is to be in touch with your family and friends through 
uh, video calls and phone. And I remember this one birthday, my mom flew down uh, to be with me because I was really low, and uh, my friends were calling and everything. And it was great that you know that happened. But like that was my life. Like my life was totally work. It was not anything else. So I think. After two two and a half years, I also had had it. Taz was moving on; he was joining IMF, so I decided to leave because they were transferring me to another boss. And I said, you know, no, I think it's time for me to go back. And that's when I came back to India and joined PwC. <laughs> But that also after an experience of working in, I would say, at least ten uh, African countries. Wow! Which all countries did you go to majorly? I was majorly in South Africa, but I visited Zambia. I worked on and and Malawi, and I worked on Namibia. I worked on Seychelles. I worked on Mauritius. I worked on uh, uh, Somalia. I worked on um, what else did I work on? There were two three others, like all in the Southern African region, basically. and we had a few regional projects so that also counted a uh, you know couple of countries but yeah visiting wise i was mostly zambia and malawi apart from south africa it's such a hectic schedule balancing personal and work life would have been very 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 balance it i at that stage i didn't balance it was all work so and at that time i was what 25 26 so like it, it was right also that is the time to work completely so those two years were stressful but worth it ha huh. completely so ma'am ma as an economist how do you rate the lockdown What's i think steps taken by the everything i think it's too prolonged i think it's too prolonged uh you know the issue is that we are making policies for the 1% of people who are dying but we're killing the rest of the 99% uh without any certainty you know business can't operate under uncertainty business can't operate if tomorrow calcutta is going to say acha ab aaj se aaj tak i am not accepting flights from delhi anymore business can't operate if tomorrow bangalore is going to say acha july 14 se july 22 itne baje se itne baje complete lockdown it it can't operate like that right so you can only do a bare minimum amount of activity and that also in the sector which is digitally connected we have to realize that most of our country does not have digital connection exactly and all of the time of the lockdown has been wasted we have not ramped up our health facilities we have not ramped up testing we have not ramped up training of entrepreneurs in msme sector to handle medical emergencies right. see it's everyone's responsibility we are in a new normal if you want to keep your uh, factory running you have to make sure that workers in your factory if they are, they will fall ill see no one can escape covid i had it also i'm sitting at home and i had it so no one can escape it what we have to do because lock and lockdowns are not going to help because again people who are sitting at home are getting it <laughs> right so there's no point of this uh, of this kind of a lockdown anymore what we need is to now open up give a commitment that we are not going to lock down if you want business activity to come back exactly so activities have to be permanently banned like restaurants malls uh you know large religious events i mean why was the puri yatra allowed if we if we criticize the tablighi event we must also criticize the puri yatra exactly both of them were wrong so uh we have to stop congregations we have to stop large weddings um you know people have to become uh, much more responsible which i think by and large they are becoming villages may people are so scared that they are not even allowing their own relatives to come back exactly yeah they are more responsible than us you know because they know that they don't have any recourse they don't have any health facilities so instead of these lockdowns now we have to stop this uh, lockdown you know here and there and everything business we have to open up and we have to ramp up health facilities testing and home isolation home isolation home testing 
is the solution for this because i was tested at home i didn't have to step out i got my medicines at home i uh, got i never actually required anything like a hospital or anything because i could get that good care at home so if 80% of the patients can manage with home isolation and work and i am completely in support of continued work from home for the people who can do it i also feel that there's a huge section of offices which is simply forcing people to come to work because they want to see that they are working that culture needs to completely change you know you can't say that oh uh, we are going to keep working from the office that's why we are having these repeated lockdowns so i feel like the different sections of people and we can't just blame the government we have to blame ourselves as well different sections are not working together with each other Absolutely. you know the restaurant association has to also understand that no one is going to come to a restaurant no matter how much you open it up <clears throat> so open up takeaway open up deliveries don't have issues with that don't try to open you know like now you know that the virus is airborne so can you even think about going to a cinema hall and watching a movie no like it's just not possible so you have to just give up on a few things it's too we have, we have to embrace the new normal we don't have a yes. choice so we have to make those changes permanent but things which can continue like manufacturing uh things which can continue like digital services uh and of course agriculture need to be given an immediate push and agriculture i feel that the policies have been very good very effective especially the agriculture infrastructure fund has been a step in the right direction um but given the gap between policy and implementation which we have constantly seen uh you know with this uh with this scenario i i think that you know that is my only concern but definitely for the lockdown we now need to stop and have a consistent and and committed stand from the government that we are not going to just randomly lockdown uh you know by and large So now just a positive touch you received the 2020 cpl thought leader award how did it feel so i actually didn't even know that i got it <laughs> they called me one day and uh, they said okay can we do a webinar with you and i'm like yeah sure absolutely you can do a webinar and like i'd be very happy to do it and then after a few days i just saw their website and i saw that i've got it and i said wow uh this is actually quite cool and uh, you know also the kind of thought leaders that they have i i don't match up to them at all i feel <laughs> so it's a big responsibility and i'm very very excited to be um, you know thought leader with them so now what i do is basically whatever i'm writing my books and my book has come out uh, a few days ago and and my blog uh, so you know i i definitely like keep sharing it with them so that they can amplify uh, the voice Okay, so if if you get one chance to retrace all your steps, what would be the one change you would do? Ooh. Every decision, once one chance you get to change it or do something different, what would it be? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't think. I think if there's anything that I've like, maybe I would extend. So I left the World Bank consultancy a bit too soon in 2012. Uh, maybe I would continue to do that for a bit longer, and 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 have deepened my uh, you know sort of expertise in that area. Maybe I would have done that, but yeah, aside from that, nothing really. perfect so what is your role as a developmental economist so um yeah so i've been with adb now for uh, since 2017 so it's been almost 3 uh, years and uh, more than 3 years actually yeah joined in jan 2017 so yeah 3 now uh, yeah so it's been a while and my role has evolved so when i joined i was a very you know junior analyst who would uh, 
you know because i i was coming from a place where in pwc i was literally the manager and i would manage the entire project i would run everything and then i came here and i was like literally at the bottom of the pile and i said ye kya ho raha hai and i had to like sort of adapt and also the culture was very different like in consulting your culture is very aggressive um you have to market yourself you have to market your work you have to constantly seek out new projects from partners you have to be very aggressive in multilaterals is not like that they don't like people who are very aggressive they like people who have a lot of depth real knowledge and can work you know quietly so i was it was a big culture shock cuz pwc was very suitable to my personality uh i'm very loud i'm very aggressive i can't like i like going after things so suddenly i came to edwin and i had to be very passive mm. it was a huge shock for me but i was very clear that i didn't want to go back to pwc or to the consulting life because the kind of work i mean the hours i was putting in in pwc was not sustainable like it was okay to do for a year or two and i learned a lot um in terms of technical knowledge and uh, managerial capabilities but it was not sustainable so i knew that i had to stay with adb for a long time and i was not going to leave so i had to change and uh, so what i did was i just for for i would say for a year i just kept my head low and just observed what was going on around me and that was very tough was for a full year to do that um for a person like me who was so impatient was really tough but how i did it was that i kept on writing my blogs on the side and that was possible because um you know as as a consultant i had that freedom that i could write and i could i could publish and i also joined the global shapers uh, new delhi hub uh, at that time so again there was a lot of community work i was doing on weekends and i had weekends for the first time in my entire life because like all the jobs i had done before that they consumed every single day but adb gave work life balance which i really valued um so i could do other things outside of adb which were also i mean not personal they were also kind of like you know professional but leisure professional you know like it wasn't just like yeah you're just doing work like i would go to this ngo and teach girls um so you know as part of the global shapers uh, work so it was it was exciting from that point of view that i could diversify away from just doing that one office work so that was good and then over the years in adb my role started evolving and i started getting more and more responsibility my boss changed that helped a lot new projects came in um you know we started working with uttar pradesh government where i was sort of given the responsibility of of leading that engagement from the adb side and i was uh, you know sort of managing that work i was doing a lot i started doing a lot of field work with adb and spending a lot of time in lucknow and varanasi so that was uh, very very exciting because i was sort of the one from adb side talking to the state government understanding their issues and then also leading the team which was like we had a consulting firm which was sort of uh, appointed for writing the reports so i was reviewing their work and it was all very new so this was mostly in 2018 and then in 2019 i was basically given the export kind of a title like changed from an analyst to an export level and uh, given the title of development economist proper from analyst before and given an export contract and now i lead multiple engagements at the same time so currently i'm leading uh, this covid uh, you know engagement from from our end and that i'm also uh, working on uh, you know this one uh, engagement that we have with the msme ministry so i'm doing a lot of central government work now or it was more state government um but even now i work at state level as well so it's just now it's just like pehle wale projects jo chal rahe the wo to chal hi rahe hain aur naye naye roze add ho jate hain so it's kind of like that um so this is this is the point of institutional memory and but i'm very happy with my work here and i i intend to stay in adb for a long time so yeah that's my that's my adb journey 
So, out of all the jobs you had, your favorite job? Uh, hmm. Actually, I think I think the World Bank, um, you know, project that I'm doing uh, right now on logistics. Um, it's on the National Waterways project where. Um, so actually, there are two World Bank projects. One which I did when I was in PwC, which was on the dedicated freight corridors. Um, so I spent around one and a half years on that project, and I would say that project was like doing an MBA in logistics. So my entire skill set and knowledge of the logistics industry today is owing to that project. Uh, it was a national level mapping of exact of cargo flows. He point A to point B, kya jata hai? and I don't think that any study like that has been done in in the country. So definitely, that was from a professional point of view my favorite project. And then following that, I'm using the learnings of that project in my current project on the National Waterways. With with both were with World Bank. One was via PwC, and now I've been contracted to World Bank directly. So um, I would say that those two uh, were really my most biggest learning. But my most fun project was definitely when I went to Kenya from uh, via PwC, actually. Soon after I joined PwC, they were like, Acha, Africa the last project after you. I was like, OK. And they said, you just have to go to Kenya for one week. I'm like, OK. So like our team went to Kenya for one week. And we actually ended up spending six weeks without getting any flybacks in Kenya. At, but we were staying at a five-star hotel. And um, you know, of course, it was hard for my manager because his wife and kids were in Delhi. But the rest of the team was like singles and all just you know, work-oriented folks. So we had a lot of fun. And we partied in Nairobi. And uh, we also like did a lot of work, but we had we just explored the hell out of Nairobi. So it was it and, and living in a five star hotel for six weeks, I am not complaining. <laughs> so uh, it, it really was. I don't think any person is gonna spend that much money anymore. Like he to fly a consultant from Delhi to uh, you know Nairobi to work for six weeks. It's a budget justify so uh, and and like you know the PwC was paying for everything, so we were very happy. <laughs> I really enjoyed that project from a, a you know like and of course skills wise also I learned a lot about how to do value for money assessments on road projects, and and met with several Chinese investors who were uh, you know investing in road projects in in, in Nairobi and in larger Kenya region. But it was uh, the most fun party project, I would say. <laughs> so at a personal level, how do you think the two community projects you're leading help you? Uh, with the shapers? Yeah. Uh, so I've recently become the curator of the Delhi Hub. And uh, I'm now picking up the leadership of the Hub. In fact, yesterday I had a very severe meeting with our Hub members, telling them, giving them targets. By July end, etc. So, uh, so it's there now. I think it's going to be fun for me, not for them. So, whatever. But yeah, I think the community projects really they give you a lot of uh, like as I said, it's about the privilege, right? Again, you are always reminded of why you do what you do. You know, it's very easy to get lost in the um in the in the calculations and in the feasibility report and in you know the government presentation and you know all of that sounds very fancy but why do you do what you do you do it so that there is less inequality you do it so that there is a better standard of living for everyone and uh, i think post covid i started finding uh, like a lot of consumerism abhorrent I just feel that we need to just consume less. It's and and I wouldn't. I don't think I would feel that if I could see for my own eyes the kind of stark inequality that we're living in. So I think the community projects help me understand how privileged I am, and uh, why I don't need that extra pair of shoes, or why I don't need another dress, or why I don't need to spend 
um, so much more on food or whatever. Like you know, it just it makes me a more responsible consumer. So yeah, that has been very enriching uh, my journey because it like I I would say that you know the kind of people also that you meet, um, the fellow shapers, they are so inspiring. Um, you know. They, it's 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 like a collection of people who are very very committed to community building. So mostly, I would say eighty percent of shapers are brilliant. So, okay, ma'am. So the final question for you is one tip that you would give all to all of us economic honors students. What one mantra you had that you followed for your for the for your life? What one mantra? Stop thinking that things will be done for you. just stop stop thinking that someone else will sort it out no one else is going to sort it out if you want uh, a job if you want to work in a particular organization if you want uh, to get uh, a, a phd or whatever like whatever your goal is and i'm sure most people have a goal we are not like if we're in eco honors then we are anyway pretty much high achievers we've been high achievers all our life uh so i'm sure that all of us have goals um but a lot of people that i meet uh you know they rely on just personal networks or contact or you know mere ye uncle hain wo ye kara denge ye hai ye ho jayega like honestly wo kara denge tumhara first job lag jayega phir kya hoga right so i think that from the very beginning this is the one thing that my father actually taught me um because i was getting very angry uh, at some point i think after bachelors or something when i wasn't sure like should i go for a straight away like a masters or should i do a job in india and then go etc like there was the whole period of discussion and i was telling my dad why don't you just get me a job somewhere i remember saying this once to him he said because this is your life i don't give a shit what you do like you got to make it so uh, you know just one second i'm just hold mm-hmm. so he never he never forwarded my cv anywhere he never spoke to anyone for me i just did it all myself and he told me this he said you know after 5 7 years when you start getting your successes you will be proud that you did it on your own and he was right he was absolutely bang on and uh, today i have appropriated the surname and uh, started nicor associates and i don't uh, allow him to use this surname anymore so and he has he has very nicely bequeathed it to me so in fact he started his own firm which is not got nicor anywhere in it because i've just taken it <laughs> i started before him so uh, so uh, i think my mantra is very very clear you just cannot rely on anyone atmanirbhar bilkul modi ji ki tarah on point speeches i sleep in his speeches because at a, at one point he's just repeating what he said <laughs> in five different languages atmanirbhar aise 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 and i'm like sure i got your point the first time yeah exactly but but yeah like i mean frankly speaking it's not a wrong message you uh, have to be we do have to be a lot more self reliant um even in our personal lives uh, i think the other thing which i felt now which i didn't feel when i was younger is really uh, how i never worked on my life skills like genuinely i don't know how to drive i don't know how to cook and uh, you know in today's uh, and and i had never cleaned before the covid lockdown right because privilege so uh, even south africa mein i had help like i had a coke i had uh, you know uh, i never had to drive cuz public transport tha wahan pe and you know the cleaning was always done for you so honestly like i feel like this this lockdown and of course like professionally in any case i've never relied on anyone and now i'm sort of working to make myself even in my personal life much more self uh, you know reliant and much more independent so you know i'm sure all of us have become lockdown cooks and master chefs so what are koi rahe and but yeah like even in terms of just you know being aware that you have to take responsibility for your own household work 
um is extremely important because when i see like my friends uh, uh you know like all the fellow shapers who are not living here and and also during my time in london when i saw there's a certain you know assumption in all of us that white people are just trash or they just party all the time or whatever they're not like that they're very responsible actually i mean like and i don't just mean white people i mean any any person who is living abroad they because they don't have help so they are trained from very young age to you know do all of the housework and they don't even consider it to be ki oh mujhe ghar ka kaam karna pad raha hai this is a very normal thing for them that also helps in improving the gender balance within the household because today uh, it's not possible for me to be married have a kid and do the amount of work that i do it's not possible like for a single person to do that unless i have a partner who does an equal amount so you know like i say this very openly that i am looking for a guy you know to be in my life who's going to do his 50% kya who's going to do 60% sometimes and there will be times when he'll be doing a lot more because i have a lot of work hmm. so it's um, you know and this is exactly what is important for the men of today to realize um that they can't be doing what their fathers did and just you know um the way our mothers were sacrificed mm, they sacrificed their potential and their education um that's not going to happen anymore it should not happen anymore i've seen it happen even now and that's what my book is about it is about the low labor force participation rates unemployment rates and workforce participation rates of women tracing the data over the last 70 years we found that today urban educated unemployment amongst the women is the highest it's ever been but still workforce participation rates are extremely low less than 20% of women in our country are working so the gender gap is real the gender privilege is real and um, you know it's my personal mission for the rest of my life to keep talking about this issue because if women don't enter the workforce they will never be financially independent and they will never be able to you know uh, close the gap and that is hugely reliant on men because if men don't close the gap at the household level in terms of doing housework this outside gap can't be bridged so So yeah, that's that's the mantra. Just do your own shit. <laughs> Perfect. On point, Alsa. Okay, so one last question: What is your political party preference? Controversial. <laughs> and... No, I don't. I don't think. Uh, What's I, your I'm preference with, here? I'm with the Democratic Party in the US, or with Labour Party in the UK. <laughs> I think the new uh, Labour Party leader in the UK is very uh, magnanimous, and he's very attractive also. And and of course, I like Justin Trudeau. <laughs> but but yeah, the the gold standard is of course uh, you know Jacinda Ardern in in New Zealand. She is everyone's. I think every feminist today, she is the one that we all look up to and like we want to be her. we want to be like her we want to be her so and and look at how she's fought covid um even angela merkel uh, has done a phenomenal job germany is doing very well on on the covid um, you know sort of journey so and and strong leaders like uh, taiwan's prime minister um, you know like despite having the threat uh, you know from neighborhood uh, she has been fighting really hard um for our country so i think these leaders are uh, real you know uh, walk the talk kind of uh, leaders so in india we don't have the best bunch of options i'll say what's your india one, one of the emerging leaders who's doing really well uh, is aditya thakre um yeah, yeah. i think he's he's really one of the leaders who's and and even on the environment i mean he's one of the few mainstream political voices who who talks about environmental issues and who prioritizes environmental issues so i i think i really like that 
and maharashtra has done phenomenally well on covid as well uh, dharavi has now become a global you know case study on and and when the first case in dharavi came out i thought this is it like now there will be just millions of people but they controlled it and uh, phenomenally well so i think aditya thakre is somebody that i i find very interesting as a political um, you know voice um then i think uh, there is also chandrashekhar azad uh, the the you know dalit leader <laughs> who was also very vocal during the um caa and rc protests and went to jail at that time again it's very important to amplify dalit voices uh, in india because the issue of dalit uh, injustices is completely ignored and nobody talks about it so i think that um, you know that's he's also an interesting youth leader um you know and and sachin pilot hopefully uh, will emerge into a stronger voice um to be fair even jyotiraditya sindhya is an interesting leader um you know of course his politics is is very opportunist but he has waited for very long to get this opportunity so if he can use the uh, you know power that he now has um for people's benefit um you know i really think that he can be again a leader that we can you know look forward to so i don't think i don't think it's about parties um it's never about the party exactly it's really about the people and i feel like from from the youth these are some very interesting leaders um who we can look up to i really wish that some women leaders also come up because there was a time when someone like jailalita for example was a great leader or uh, she was able to galvanize support in a very difficult state um which was politically very difficult and she was able to keep the party together she was able to do all of that despite um you know so many challenges so i think if we can have a leader like her some day again that would be you know she's one of the strongest female leaders uh, in my opinion that we've had thank you so much ma'am for this wonderful insight into your life like honestly i have personally learned so much today that that mantra of yours has really hit me somewhere that i have to become atmanirbhar and do my shit on my own ha because otherwise tumko girlfriend nahi milega not a problem <laughs> abhi na i'm telling you all the girls i this is my this is my first uh, like whenever i talk to young women i'm like first ask the guy if he can cook <laughs> if you cook then you can date him otherwise do not <laughs> so my boyfriend is a great cook so i am very happy i have to work on this skill now <laughs> on my checklist next mission is cook yes ma'am i'm going to take one photo because this session was amazing and this will go on my feed okay ek second yaar <laughs> Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you. For this beautiful session, we will share this podcast with everyone because they need to hear everything that you said today because it's really impactful and it gives everything a new perspective, in my opinion. Because we've already we've we've always looked at economics honors as a burden, and if we start looking at it something you know which has so much potential, and if we see your example that how you've actually worked your butt off to reach. so many different places we can do anything we want so i will highly recommend everyone to hear this conversation because you are truly an inspiration for us thank you so much and uh, you know i'll tell you one thing which uh, irritates me is also nepotism uh, oh. which is very very prevalent in the development sector i mean we only keep highlighting uh, film industry but it's a uh, dev sector and international development is one of the worst sectors to be affected by nepotism because you suddenly realize that you've been working really hard for a position or for a you know contract or something and uh, some ias person's daughter or son has already been appointed as your boss without having any experience exactly and uh, 
it's very hard to deal with those situations and it's very demotivating but you have to be very strong with your content like if your content is on point even if that person is your senior or is there in the team and you know they are just sitting there quietly but you are the one who's leading all the discussions um then it doesn't matter whether even there or not and soon they are moved from those positions because they are so insecure because they don't work on themselves so exactly. they are so insecure that they they just uh, they they themselves get themselves transferred out ki nahi nahi yahan to bahut strong person hai yahan pe kaam nahi ho payega so uh, honestly the only way to deal is to be very independent work on yourself and and not be deterred when you know these kind of things happen it's very demotivating but you have to remember and be prepared for it ki ye hoga there will be you know this nepotism which will come up yeah i'm scared about this because i've heard this happen so much and i don't know how i will react because when i see an underqualified person leading me i'm giving everything and he's striking me down because he doesn't have an opinion of his own and he's just like name mai karega and i'm like you don't know what you're doing so i don't i, I just, i'm just hoping i can react well at that time even if you don't react well in that situation and you're confrontational it's very human and you have to do it you have to wage those wars i recently waged a war of a very similar nature in the shapers hub actually where uh, there was an underqualified person leading the hub and i had to make some changes um but it was i i it was an election and i only got elected because of my work like everyone in the hub saw that no she has been working for 3 years consistently and that other person is just a name that's it so you know you have to make that name for yourself they've been given the name kyunki khairat mein mila hai but you know we have to make it for ourselves <laughs> we have to get ready to work now because yeah. i know how crucial these two years will be because of the covid situation obviously the whole job sector is already so messed up and like so i, I think we have to become so proficient in everything we do that when we're going to an employer he has no choice but to employ us and not give them yeah. the option you know be the option be the only option out there yes yes absolutely <laughs> thank you so much ma'am <laughs> no no not at all and best wishes to you and the entire team uh, i'm sure you guys will do very well and i hope to talk more about my book and the findings from the book in the next webinar yes, and i'm really looking forward to it absolutely ma'am i'm final photo ma'am sorry ma'am Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you. Bye bye. Even, even though I know you have a very busy schedule, thank you for taking out this hour for us. I know. No worries, no worries. I'm going to now straight away get into my next call. <laughs> so, but thank you so much. Thank you so much, ma'am. Okay, bye bye. Bye, ma'am. Bye.